We'll be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 15 through 21 today. As we conclude these sermons uh, about covenant and how that relates to us uh, and our relationship with Christ, but then how that relationship in Christ defines our relationship as a church. Amen? That's what I want us to really understand today. And we will end our time of worship at the Lord's table. And so this is all tying together because when we come to the Lord's table, we are remembering the body of Christ and we are remembering the new covenant through his blood. And so what does this all mean? Man, this we, want, we always want to, as a church, understand God's truth through his word. And so today, if you will stand as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 15. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. I imply what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word, and these words from your servant Paul are deep words. As you have written through him, as your spirit has directed Paul to write, Paul did not go into a trance and write some mystery and not realize what he was writing. God, you used thought, you used language, you used reason to convey an eternal truth. And so, God, I pray that you teach us this morning as we do come together at this table and participate in what's called the Lord's Supper. Lord, this is a, a sign that we are part of a new covenant. And we express this joy and this commitment through this time. Lord, what does it mean that your Son, Jesus Christ, issued in a new covenant? What does it mean, Lord, that we participate in that? I pray, God, that you would teach us today. Because many of these ideas are confusing, and we have been taught so many different things. And we may not fully agree or fully understand what it is that your gospel tells us. And so, God, I pray for the sake of your glory that we would understand. That, dear God, you would stir within us what you need us to know. That you would inspire us through your spirit to follow through on this gospel truth. 
that we have been saved. What does that look like? Lord, we need you always, and I invite you here to speak. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. God bless you. What is happening here in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, really helps us understand exactly what Paul is indicating here. Paul is writing to a church that has some trouble. I'm just going to let you know. For First and Second Corinthians are two of uh, the Apostle Paul's uh, letters to this church. Um, we, we know through biblical scholarship that there are most likely four letters at least that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. We have two. Um, but we can, under, we can understand through Paul's words here, and also I would argue the length of each of these letters is pretty extensive, and these are just two. I, I, I would hate to see what the other two that are missing, we no longer have them, they have been lost to antiquity. I would love to see what the whole corpus of these letters actually imply, but we can get a good sense here from this these two letters. But 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church that has been taught incorrectly. Paul establishes the church with truth and with grace and showing them the true gospel, but somewhere along the line, the uh, the church in Corinth has somehow tried to merge the culture of Corinth, which was very diverse and secular and pagan and and economic and, and all these things going on. They tried to merge those things with this gospel. And Paul is saying, uh, you've, you've messed up here. Right? Is the gospel something that uh, benefits me because of my needs? Or does the gospel change me or change us collectively into something that is outside of our personal selfish needs? That's the goal here of Paul's his condemnation out of love and his desire to teach them and remind them of the gospel that he taught them. Have we all been guilty of this, that our relationship with Jesus Christ has become something of my desire rather than what Christ does? Have we not all done that? I'll be the first one to confess the idea of somehow can we justify a blending of, of the secular worldview with a gospel Christian view, that's a very difficult thing to justify in the gospel. Does that mean that we just discard the world? No, that's, the, that's kind of the balancing act that we've got going on here. At what point are we not of the world, and at what part do we engage the world as the light that we are called to be? And I think this is what Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians. Because what has happened here is that as the churches in Corinth were gathering, Paul gets word that as they come together, it becomes this thing of self-aggrandizement. Look at me. It's all about me. I'm coming to fulfill my needs. And look at what I have done. And I'm going to satisfy my spiritual desires and my social desires and my status within the community. It's all about me. That's what was going on. You had a lot of people who had wealth who were elevating themselves over those who did not have wealth and they were looking down upon them and actually causing a division of categories of groups within the church that was breaking apart the harmony of the gospel collection of the church. 
And part of what was happening here was around the Lord's table, they were taking this commandment of Jesus Christ himself to gather at the Lord's table and remember Jesus Christ and his body and his blood in this new covenant that we are under. What had happened in 1 Corinthians is they took that that command of Christ and distorted it into something that was just unrecognizable in God's eyes. So this is why we need to understand, especially when it comes to the ordinances of the church between baptism and coming to the Lord's table and, and committing to one another, this is important for us to see in Scripture what God expects. Amen? We want to be a gospel church. We want to be a biblically-centered, biblically-focused gospel church here at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. And we must look at Scripture at all times to see what was happening in the earliest church but also what God intends. Does that mean that we go back to the customs of the first century and all wear sandals and, and togas and robes and guys, we've got to let our beards grow out to our bellies and some of us are already starting to do that. Uh, uh, that's biblical, right? Or what, say, does that mean that what we do? Or, and, then, and then do we have to go and find unleavened bread for our communion time? And oh, and God forbid we actually go get alcoholic wine, right? Because they didn't have refrigeration for the grape juice back then. If we really want to be exactly like the first church, let's go to the liquor store and get a bottle of wine. But we can't do that, can we? We shouldn't do that. See where we're going? So it's a little bit more than just do we go back and try to mimic and copy the historical record of what we see here, or do we see what God established through the gospel that is both consistent but yet then organic for the culture and the time at the same time? place. See where we're going? So let's take a look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and understand this in light of the covenant because this is where we've been coming throughout the last three or four weeks. We've been looking at this idea of covenant. And so this is what Paul is reminding the church here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as it leads into 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the, the latter half of that chapter, really gives us the breakdown and the, the understanding of what the Lord's Supper represents. But we see here in verse 10, or in chapter 10, that Paul is bringing up the true problem here that in the church that leads to the a misunderstanding and, the, and, the, and the, the misapplication of the Lord's Supper. It all centers around idolatry here. He reminds the church here in Corinth, beginning um, in verse 15. Actually, look at verse 14. He says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Very simple statement. Right there tells you what the problem was around uh, the Lord's table. The, the, first, the, the church in Corinth, they, they had turned it into an idolatrous act. What is idolatry? Idolatry is the worship of anything other than God. We are placing something above the authority and the sovereignty of God himself. That's idolatry. Now, what does that look like? What has happened here is that in the, in the, in the city of Corinth, of course, there were many, many pagan gods. A lot of the Roman mythologies and the gods were there and the Greeks were there and they, everything was just kind of intermingled and, and, and distorted. So the secular attitude toward religion in the city of Corinth was this Greek mythology mixed with the, the pagan uh, gods of, of the Middle East, and it was just this hodgepodge of whatever suits your fancy, just go with it. And so Paul says here in verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Stay away from it. 
Focus on the truth of the gospel because anything else is a distortion and is idolatry at, at its base understanding. Verse 15, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. He calls them sensible. If we are sensible people, we should be able to understand the truth. That's what he means. Verse 16, now he begins to speak about this, what this Lord's table represents. It, it focuses on a covenant. The, the, the table itself, the Lord's Supper, is not a covenant. It just points to a covenant. Verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Let's stop right there. When we come to the Lord's table, we participate in the cup. The cup that has this little bit of grape juice in it represents the blood of Christ as a sign of a new covenant. Right? That's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, um, in verse 25. That's how we know this. And so Paul is telling them in verse 16 of chapter 10, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? What does it mean to participate with Christ in this blood? Right? First of all, we have to understand what is it that this blood represents. Jesus Christ died on the cross. His blood was shed for what purpose? It was to cover our sin, to literally... to to actually wash us clean of our sin. That doesn't mean that we have to bring in human blood at the church and pour it over people when they come to Christ. That that would be really foolish, wouldn't it? That would be very, um, actually, that would be very disturbing. (laughs) I would would be very disturbed if a church actually had some blood in a jar and said, okay, according to Scripture, uh, you have to participate in the blood of Christ, and the only way to do that is to physically pour this over you. That would be very, very, that would be odd. I, I think I would get up and go. I don't don't know I would stay, right? That'd be odd, right? So, but what what does this mean that we participate in the blood of Christ? Let's understand this through the idea of covenant. Okay. First of all, Old Testament and New Testament throughout the entire Scripture, this idea of covenant just permeates everything God is telling us in His Word. Now, the idea of the new covenant in Christ. Is something that kind of it can be seen in Scripture from different terminology. Of course, the new covenant we see here, we first of all see that, or, or we predominantly see this idea of new covenant in Jeremiah chapter thirty-one that we read at the beginning of our service today. Jeremiah chapter thirty-one uh, tells us about that God is going to do something new. <laughs> Why? It's because all of these other covenants that God had made, right? The covenant with Abraham, the covenant with Noah. The covenant with David, all of these covenants with his people, God meant it. He kept his end of the bargain. But what happened? Every single time a new generation came around in the nation of Israel, seems like they just kind of broke the covenant. See the problem? So we have the new covenant that's mentioned in Jeremiah 31. The idea of the covenant of peace is another way to phrase this same thing. Covenant of peace, we see that in Isaiah predominantly. Even Jeremiah mentions it, the covenant of peace in Ezekiel. And then we also have another term called the everlasting covenant that we see um, in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel as well. So you've got three different ways to really understand this idea of the covenant 
New covenant is the term. Covenant of peace is a term. An everlasting covenant. All of these interchangeable terminologies kind of point to the same idea here. That God himself said, okay, we've had all these covenants. You've broken every single one of them. I'm going to issue a new covenant that is eternal and unbreakable. And it, it satisfies everything. The New Testament refers to this new covenant in just about every book of the Bible. Uh, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 25 that we're going to read about at the Lord's table. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, actually throughout a lot of Hebrews you'll see this idea of the new covenant. So what does this look like? Right here, let's understand what the new covenant is not first and then we'll understand what the new covenant is. This new covenant in Christ is not a continuation of previous Old Testament covenants. It's not just another phase or another step in all of these different covenants that God had initiated in the Old Testament. Stop and understand that first. But the new covenant is not, neither is it a rejection or an abandonment of the Old Testament covenants. Here's here's kind of the here's the, the... the tightrope that we have to walk here in understanding the new covenant. Number one, it is not a continuation of the previous Old Testament covenants, but neither is it a rejection or an abandonment of them either. Like the Abrahamic covenant. Here's an example. Uh, The covenant with Abraham was actually a, a covenant of genealogy, if you think about it. All of your descendants will be multiplied. All of your descendants will grow. And a sign of the Abrahamic covenant came through what? Y'all remember? came through circumcision of young boys and men. That was a sign of God's covenant with Abraham that uh, that subsequent generations would be held as God's people. Right? So this new covenant in Christ is not a continuation of previous Old Testament covenants because... We do not circumcise young boys now as a sign of the continuation of the Abraham's genealogy. Right? Paul makes that very clear in the New Testament. Anytime that a congregation in the New Testament church emphasized and demanded circumcision as a sign of salvation, Paul came against that heavily. He said that may have been a sign of the Abrahamic covenant, but it is no longer necessary in the new covenant with Christ. Now, we still do circumcision today, but if circumcision occurs with a young boy who was born, it's more for hygiene and health rather than it is as a sign of a connection to Abraham, right? So that's an example of how the new covenant is not a continuation of Old Testament covenants, because if it was, we would still be bound to circumcise all boys just because God said to Abraham, circumcise your children. Right? See where we're going? We don't do that anymore. It's not necessary anymore. But here's what the new covenant is. We now know what it's not, but here's what it is. The new covenant is truly a genuine new covenant. Let's just understand that up front. The new covenant in Christ is not a rejection of the Old Testament covenants, but it does not continue them either. It is a totally, genuinely, brand new covenant that God is making in the hearts of people that He changes. 
That's the difference. Whereas the Old Testament covenants demanded a physical sign to connect to the covenant, the new covenant in Christ is that God himself is making the change in us. Amen? It is truly a genuine new covenant. Yet it also is a fulfillment of prophecy like in Jeremiah 31. Let's flip over there real quick and remind ourselves of that passage. Jeremiah chapter 31, if you've got your Bibles, flip over there. Let's see what God says through his prophet about what he is going to do. And Jesus Christ fulfilled the prophecy. It's not that Jesus Christ fulfilled a covenant made with Jeremiah. It's that he fulfilled a prophecy about this covenant. Verse 31 of Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. So there he sets the stage. All of these Old Testament covenants that I made with Moses and with Abraham and with Noah and with David, y'all broke them. Verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law where? Within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So you see what's going on here? The new covenant that God speaks about with Jeremiah and with Ezekiel um, and, and Isaiah God says, I am bringing a new covenant that I write on the hearts of my people. And it's not limited just to the nation of Israel. As we see in the New Testament, it is for all who believe. Amen? This new covenant in Christ is not for the whole world universally. It is for those who believe. Amen? That's the new covenant. And so here's what we look at here. This new covenant is both a continuation of God's covenants and a discontinuation as well. It's not an addition, it's not an appendix or a subdivided uh, or a, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? You add it on to the back of the book, right? Addendum, there you go. It's not that. It is something genuinely 100% new. Without totally tossing away and rejecting the covenant. Because God's never going to ignore covenants that he's ever made. The covenant he made in the Mosaic Law is still a covenant. But all of this, what the new, co- what the new covenant in Christ does, is it says, here is what I am doing. I will take the law that I promised in a covenant and write it on your hearts now. No longer will it be in a book that you have to obey the laws with. It's now in your heart. 
You're not obeying me because you're obligated by the Mosaic law. You're obeying me because you desire to. You're obeying me because I've made you new. You're obeying me because I'm giving you the ability to obey me because I'm changing the very nature of who you are. You are no longer the sinner that you were. You are Christians. You are in the blood of Christ. You participate in the blood. The only way to participate in the blood of Christ, according to the Scriptures, is that God Himself changes us through His Holy Spirit in the blood of Christ to be able to be new. We can't obey the laws of God apart from that. And then when we disobey, and every one of us does, we're still under the blood of Christ and there is hope and forgiveness again. That's the new covenant. So what are the signs? There are four things that we could say about this new covenant. There's five things here. Number one, this new covenant in Christ that we participate in is a renewal of the heart. We're new people. The heart here in Scripture indicates the spirit, the very nature of who we are. And if that heart is renewed then you can say the second thing is that our hearts are regenerated, born new. It's not just an act of renewal. It is then the result of a new birth, right? This idea of being born again in Christ. This is part of the new covenant. We are making you new. If, we, if our hearts have been renewed, our spirits have been, the, the law of God and it has been written on our hearts, that then regenerates us and births us into new people. That means that those who come to Christ in the church are now covenant people who have been born, been born again. We have been made new. That's the only way to become part of God's people. You don't sign a form or shake the preacher's hand or say a prayer. Or, that doesn't save you and that doesn't make you new. All those things are good. I think praying a prayer of repentance is, is a very valuable and necessary thing. That doesn't mean that that is a legal requirement to become Christians, though. So once that if that's the case, then part of being made new is that our sins are completely forgiven. Now, the sins that are forgiven, folks, let me emphasize here, it's the sins of the past, it's the sins of the present, and it's the sins in the future. I mean, that's the only hope we've got. Now, there is scriptural evidence, and that's another sermon altogether, that once we have been made new in Christ, and we are born again as new people in Christ, and our sins have been forgiven, those sins that we commit after that, if they are intentional, flagrant rejections of the gospel, there is dire warning in the book of Hebrews, I'm thinking of specifically there's dire warning, those sins cannot be forgiven. That's, that's again, a totally different <laughs> sermon, but we won't go there today. There's caution there. But complete forgiveness of sin. And, I, you know, if, the dear, if, if God has forgiven me past, present, and future, wow. Wow. That really makes me think twice about intentionally sinning again. <laughs> we sin. We're fallen. We're not perfect. It happens. 
And when that happens, I, I'm a, as a pastor and as an observer of life, I have witnessed that whenever those sins occur, it's usually the result of something out of balance in our Christian lives. We're too busy. Life is too full of pressure. We're not leaving enough room in our hearts and in our thinking for Christ because we're so occupied with other things. That's part of it. Now, the fourth thing that we see here in the New Covenant is that this is uh, even a new exodus, right? When we look in the Old Testament uh, covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, as, as God calls His people out of slavery and they go through this exodus out of Egypt to the new promised land, that really points to this idea of our forgiveness of sins. We are now in a new exodus out of our sinful self who we used to be and going to this new place that God has promised in our hearts. So that's the fourth thing about the new covenant. There's this new exodus. It's no longer just a physical exodus from a physical location to a new physical location. It's a spiritual exodus from who you used to be to who God is making you now. You ever thought about that? That's why Jesus, when He speaks about those who have been born again and those who have heard the truth of the gospel... Why do they return back to the pig pen that they were exi- or that they came out of? If you've been rescued and freed from a pig pen of sin and squalor and mud, why is it that when we have tasted the glory of Christ and we are in a new situation as new people, why do we want to go back to that? Why do pigs always go back to the mud? It's because, boy, it's just fun. Why do, we do, why do we want to go back? We have been brought out of a sinful world, a sinful lifestyle, a, a, just this whoever yesterday was, that wasn't me, right? You ever heard that before? And, and I do believe that. I mean, I thank God that I'm not the same person I was when I was 15. <laughs> Amen. Right? Can we say 15-year-olds do stupid things? That's part of the nature of being 15, Right? You know what, I'm 50 years old, I still do stupid stuff. I hope I don't do the same things, stupid things, 10 years from now that I'm doing today. See where we're going? Hopefully we're in this exodus and going away from that. Lastly, the fifth thing in the New Covenant, we can see that there's this reunification of God's people. The New Covenant in Christ, yes, there there are aspects of of the New Covenant that are individual. Okay, That means we have to individually... Our, our spirits must be renewed and reborn. That can only happen as God writes the law, writes this covenant in our souls. That's the only way that happens. But we do not come to Christ in this new covenant and be lone rangers. This new covenant is intended for a collective of what we say God's people. Plural. We become part of something bigger than ourselves. So this is what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This body of Christ we speak about in verse 16 is definitely referencing the physical body of Christ. But if you look in 17, he actually goes further. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake 
of the one bread. So why is it that when we distribute the elements of the Lord's table, the bread and the juice, it's because we are participating in Christ's blood and his body together. This is why when we come to the Lord's table, this new covenant in Christ that we all individually participate in, we participate collectively as the body. That's why this is important stuff. Because the the rise of individualism in the church through the 20th century has destroyed the mindset of a collective, unified covenant together with Christ. This idea that somehow I can be a Christian on my own and never be part of a body of Christians is something that has poisoned the church, and I think it has done so much damage. It's going to take us another generation or two in this country to maybe turn it around. Amen? We all know, folks, some of you in this room may have come from that mindset. I don't need the church. I can just sit down. Well, uh, I had a stepmother when I was a child. My father, uh, after our parents divorced, married again shortly after... uh, the divorce happened in my family. And I had a stepmother growing up. I love her to death. I mean, she, she did a lot for me as a child. I have my mother, but I also have Ina, my stepmother, who did a lot for me. One thing I remember from her, this was in the 70s. It was the mindset of, of uh, TV evangelism, right? That was, that was the golden years of TV evangelism. And, and my stepmother, love her heart, she had a TV evangelist of the week that she uh, worshipped, really. It was just, uh, I had a messed up Christian childhood. I mean, I was I was raised in the Southern Baptist Church. My grandfather, who really influenced me a lot in my Christian walk, he was a part of that good old-fashioned gospel, uh, not really Pentecostal, missionary Baptist, if you all remember the missionary Baptist movement, right? And uh, we would go to these tent revivals. I remember in the summertime sweating in a tent with sawdust under my feet. Uh, you know, that kind of, and then, and then I had my stepmother who was Pentecostal in the Assemblies of God, and then she had this um, TV evangelist fetish going on. I was messed up. I didn't know what the truth was. <laughs> Amen. But, but dear God, God in His grace and mercy showed me the truth over the years. But you see where we're going? This, this, I, and that's why I'm thinking in, in, the, in the 60s and 70s, primarily the 70s and the 80s, when, when this TV evangelism kick came in, people realized they could stay at home and have church at home. They didn't need the church. That's my point. That's something we've got to turn around. And, and I say, you, you say, but Brian, that was you know, 30, 40 years ago. Well, just recently, within, within recent years, within two to three years, and I, I think you can still see the billboard every now and then, there's billboards in Cookville, do church at home, stream our service on the Internet. Do, and, and that's literally the title on the billboard, do church at home. See, the, the mindset is still there. And that's the problem. This is why a covenant in community through the blood of Christ is important. When we come to the Lord's table, we are remembering the blood of Christ and His body broken for us singular, but more importantly, 
for us, plural. As we participate in his blood who, that ushered in this new covenant, as we participate in the brokenness of his body as his one body called the church. You see what we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? And this is why it's very important that when we come to the table, and I will do what is called fencing the table, meaning that I explain and state up front, this table is for those who are regenerated newly, I mean, new people in Christ. You are born again in Christ through Christ's blood, and you are part of this church. Now, let me explain this as well. I don't want us to think uh, that you have to be a member of this church to participate at this table. I think we can collectively agree that's not the route we want to go. There's three different ways to address the Lord's table. There is what is called closed communion, which means you have to be a member of the church before you can participate. This church. Uh, There is also what is called open communion, meaning that anybody who wants to can come to the table. I don't think we want to go there either. So you've got two different extremes here. Somewhere in the middle, and, and, and in the middle between these two extremes is what's called close communion. So you have closed, you have open, and then you have close. Now, the idea of close communion can even be described many different ways. And here's how I see it, based on the Scriptures. First of all, in verse 21 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let's see what... Paul talks about because he's talking about this in reference to offering food to idols or participating in the food offered to idols. Remember there was this, this blend, this syncretism between secular or pagan worship in Corinth and this new gospel in Christ that Paul was addressing here. He says here in verse 21, as Christians, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Paul's making it very clear that as the church, we are, you are either the church or you are not. You are either in Christ or you are not. There is no middle ground here because if you try to blend the demons of the world with the, the glory of Christ, you, have, you don't even have the gospel. And so when this idea of close communion, it's not so radical that you either are part of this church or you're not. Or this loosey-goosey, whoever wants to come to the table, hallelujah. Both of those extremes are, are unbiblical. But I think that the idea of close communion, meaning that if you are genuinely new in Christ, even if that newness in Christ occurred 50 years ago, you're still new in Christ, Amen. If you are genuinely new in Christ, if if God has initiated this new covenant in you, and you worship with a church like ours that focuses on the biblical truth of the gospel, and you know, that could be a Baptist church. That could I would agree that there are some Presbyterian churches that I think we could agree with. I'd say that there's some Methodist churches that we could probably agree with, right? There may be some other churches we think, ah, boy, their gospel and their doctrine ain't Christian. That's a cult, right? So, so you you got to keep the cults out of there, right? If you can honestly, with good faith and good conscience, confess that, you know what? We are like-minded. 
Now, I think we can all come to this table together. Amen? Amen? That's what this means. Now, before we come to the table, I want to close with this. I want to give everybody who wants to come and be a part of this church an opportunity to do that. And I want us to pray together. And then after that, I want us to close our service by coming to the table. I just want to read to you what the church covenant is. And this will be the process by which we will move forward in church membership. Anyone who wants to come to the church as a member of Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, um, we will talk with them about the church bylaws. We will talk to them about the church covenant, what it means to join a church. Because like I said, we have this idea of individualism. What does this mean? The church covenant reads this, having been led by the Spirit of God to repent of our sin. Right? How do we repent of sin? Being led by the Spirit. We don't repent because we just desire. We are being led by the Spirit to repent of our sin. We believe and make profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and to be scripturally baptized with lives surrendered to Him. We, relying on that same Spirit, affirm this covenant together. Notice the baptism. We are a Baptist church. I think we biblically believe that baptism is necessary. It's not what saves you, like our Church of Christ brothers uh, believe. I'm not saying that we can not associate with them. I think that's someone that we can disagree on. But I think we can still fellowship together. But scriptural baptism is necessary for church membership. If you are a new spirit, if you are a new Christian in Christ, there is nothing in Scripture that indicates that there is a waiting period uh, to be baptized unless you know you're an immature child. Maybe an immature child needs a little time to mature before baptism is administered. That just that's a little bit of wisdom. You know that that involves the communication with the parents. That involves communication with the child. That means observation, right? Let's make sure that this is just not some childish reaction, right? I think there's some wisdom there. Baptism is necessary. Here's what we covenant together. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love, exercising loving care and watchfulness over each other as well as faithfully encouraging and holding one another accountable to God's word as occasion may require. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will accept the Word of God as our authority for faith and everyday living. We will follow and be equipped for service by the leadership of the church as they are led by the Holy Spirit and the teachings of the Word of God. We will, by a pure and loving example, seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will be slow to take offense and always ready for reconciliation. Oh, how that has split churches apart. Amen. We will avoid gossip backbiting, and excessive anger, another vein of the church. We will rejoice in times of others' happiness and with compassion and sympathy seek to bear each other's burdens and sorrows, aiding one another in times of need, sickness, and distress. We will seek to live carefully in the world, turning from ungodliness and worldly lusts, remembering that we have a special obligation to lead a new and holy life. We will work together faithfully in the ministry of this church as we participate in its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry. 
the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, the widows and the orphans, and the spread of the gospel locally, domestically, and in the uttermost parts of the world. We will maintain family and personal devotions. This is part of the covenant. We will maintain family and personal devotions, accepting our scriptural responsibility to be the primary pastor to our children. We will, when we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with another church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. Here is just a reality of the world we live in. People move. They live in communities for seasons, and they must go somewhere else for work or family obligations, etc. Right? And we have many people who are moving to this community. This is part of that. If you are having to move, you covenant that as soon as you do move, you will locate and prayerfully decide on a congregation to become a part of. Amen? So here is what this means. Now, this paper is something I am going to ask you to prayerfully sign if you wish to join the church. Um, I'll take those up and we'll, we'll keep a copy, but I'll send a copy back to you. And we'll have a record of all those who covenant with this church moving forward. Fair enough? Again, it's not a legalized thing, but, I mean, it's good to be honest up front. What are we, what are we agreeing to? Here's what you agree to when you sign. I agree to the tenets presented in this covenant and commit to serving the body of Christ as a mature member of Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. Here's where uh, we would have to really talk as families for young children. When are they ready to be members? And that's going to vary from child to child and family to family. Okay? But maturity is the key. I dedicate my time, my finances, and my Christian service to the members of Sovereign Grace Baptist Church and to the surrounding community. I agree to learn from the elders of the church and to follow the biblical principles of truth found in Scripture and the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Uh, that should be gospel singular. Change <laughs> should not be gospels plural. I just saw a typo. Oops. Uh, we'll change that. Um, I affirm that I am a born again. Here's the key. I affirm that I am a born-again, baptized believer in the salvation available only through Jesus Christ. This is where you are confessing salvation in Christ for yourself. I am called by the Holy Spirit to repentance of sin and in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I am assured that my salvation is not of my own choosing alone, but by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, as God the Father has saved me through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Again, first step. First requirement for church membership is that exactly there. Without that, we need to talk. This is why uh, church membership is also going to require a season of getting to know each other. Anyone who comes to want membership in this church, I'm going to ask and expect that uh, not only do we collectively get to know them, but the leadership needs to get to know them. And we need to ask some serious questions. Where'd you come from? Tell, tell us your testimony. When did the Lord save you? What, what happened there? And ask some really serious questions, right? Anyone who says, well, when I was six years old, my mama told me to go up and shake the preacher's hand, and that's what I did. I think we've got some more conversations to happen. (laughs) See where we're going? Because we want to make sure that they understand the seriousness and the importance of the new covenant in Christ. Amen? Amen. At this time, I mean, I know many of us have talked about this for a long time. If you are ready to commit to this church, now's the time. If you would like to stand where you are and you say, I want to covenant with this church, please stand.
If you cannot stand, that's fine. Just kind of raise your hand, okay? If this requires that we uh, send a letter to another church, and I know some people have talked about that, I'll, I'll make sure that happens. We'll take care of that in the next week or so, okay? We can transfer membership. That's fine. Um, let's all pray together in one heart and mind that we are dedicated to this church body. Fair enough? Those who uh, are visitors, uh, if you wish to talk to us moving forward about mem- joining this church, talk to us. Happy to start that conversation. And, and moving forward, whenever someone wants to join church, we'll bring them before you after a season of us getting to know them. And we will vote as a church by voice, yes or no. We want them to be a part of our church or no. Amen? Let's all pray together. Dear Father God, we thank you for what you have done in this body of believers over the last couple of years. (laughs) Wow. I stand amazed and I still stand kind of in a fog of, dear God, what just happened? We thank you, Lord, first of all, that you bought us with with the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. We no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus Christ because of his blood. We thank you, God, that you forgive us of our sin. You have have forgiven us in the past. You are forgiving us currently. And you will, dear God, forgive us in the future as our hearts are humbly repentant. Dear God, I, I ask for your blessing on everyone here who is committing to Sovereign Grace Baptist Church They're not committing to Pastor Bryant Owens. They're not committing to any legal entity. They are committing, dear God, to fellowship together, to love each other together, to be in a covenant community together. They are being faithful in their covenant together. And so, God, I pray that you would take this expression of commitment and this this expression of faithfulness together to be what you, dear God, want it to be. Dear God, bless us. Bless each family. Bless each individual. And dear God, use us for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Likewise, as we participate with the juice, we are remembering his blood. And what that blood does, that blood is the sign of the new covenant. That blood is the new covenant. We are in covenant with each other. We are in covenant with Christ. Wow, we are new people. Amen? That's what we're remembering. So please partake and remember that blood. Amen? Amen. God bless you.